Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. If we've never met, my name's Aaron, and I'm the lead site pastor here at our South End uh, congregation. And I'm excited to be with you to worship today and now to study God's Word together. And what we're doing this summer in this time of, uh, this time of our worship where we uh, study God's Word is we're looking at the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments that God's given us in His Word in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we're looking at these commandments this summer as we've talked about as more than just a list of do's and don'ts, though they are that. Uh, but we're looking at them as an invitation from God to us to flourish, to live the good life. That's what we've called this series, Free to Flourish, God's Gift of the Ten Commandments. And so far, we've introduced the commandments, and then we've looked at the first and second. So the first commandment being having no other gods before the one true God. And then last week, we looked at uh, us not making images of the one true God, either physical or uh, in our imaginations, um, versions of God, making up our own versions of God that we worship, but worshiping God as he is. And today, we're going to look at uh, the third commandment God gives us in his word. And we find it in Exodus chapter 20, just one verse, verse 7. So if you want to follow along, we've got it printed in your bulletin, and we'll also have it up here on the screen. I'm going to read this for us, pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into it and see what God has for us today. So this is God's word from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this time we've had so far to sing to you, to confess truths to you, about you. Um, And as we do, to be reminded of what's true. Thank you now that we get to come to your word and uh, be told what we need to be told about who you are and who we are and what's uh, true about the way you feel about us and your vision for our lives. And so however we're coming in this morning, I want to pray simply as the psalmist does in Psalm 119, talking about looking at your law, simply that you would open our eyes and our hearts that we may behold wonderful things in it this morning. And I pray that for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year... Joe Pinkser, who's a former staff writer for The Atlantic, published an article titled The Age of the Unique Baby Name. And in the article, Pinkser looks at how baby naming has developed over the past 100 to 150 years, and specifically how in the last 60 years there's been a big shift from parents picking common names to help their kids fit in to parents picking uncommon names to help their kids stand out. For example, in 1880, the percentage of American babies who had a top 10 popular name was 32%. And over the next 70 years, this dropped only slightly in 1950 to 28%. This was a result of many parents naming their children after family names or using other names that were common and in circulation at the time. However, by 2020, the percentage dropped all the way down to 7% of American babies who have a top 10 
popular name. And Pinkster explains that a shift began to happen in the 1960s due to a variety of factors. Factors like the shrinking size of the family and children having to do less labor. So this put more focus on the uniqueness and individuality of each child. Also around this time, society started to become more casual and baby naming trends and statistics were available for the first time for people to look at. So they could see, okay, here's what other people uh, are naming their children. And Pinkster's thesis is that this trend ultimately reflects the change in our cultural conception of success and what it means to be successful. As he says, quote, today you excel not by fitting in, but by standing out. And so he says that's what drives much of how we think about naming our kids and why as a whole we've moved away from using common names like our ancestors did uh, for many years. And it's an interesting article to look at this and to think about how even something like what we name our kids reflects our culture. But that's not why I bring it up. I bring it up because regardless of the cultural values at the time or whatever our specific approach may be as we think about about naming our kids, what this article does is it points us to the importance of our names, how much we care about our names, how much we think about our names. Because names are not just groups of letters that put together form syllables and ultimately a word, there's something so much more. Our names represent who we are. Our names represent our character, our person, our identity. See, you and I are not known apart from our name. When you meet someone, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? You share your name because it's foundational. And the point is, our names matter. They matter a lot. But they don't just matter to us. Names also matter a lot to God. And that's why he's given us this third commandment where he tells us, as we just read, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, for many of us, this is the no cussing commandment, right? Don't attach the name of God to an expletive. And and that is part of it as we'll talk about, but there's so much more going on. As we get into this, this commandment applies to any and every way you and I talk about God, any and every way we use his name. And like all the Ten Commandments do, what this one does is it both challenges us in the way we do it, and it compels us to do it and to live in a way that brings glory to God and flourishing in our lives. And so that's what we're going to unpack together here in our time this morning and to help us understand what this commandment is calling us away from and what it's calling us to, we're going to think about three things. First, God's name. Second, misusing God's name. And then third, how we can learn how to use God's name properly with reverence and awe. And so let's let's walk through those three things. First, God's name. As I said, names matter. And they they matter so much because they communicate who we are. And it's no different with God. If you remember back to the beginning of the Exodus story, when God first comes on the scene and appears to Moses in the burning bush and calls him to this great task to lead the people out of Egypt, the climax of the story in Exodus 3 is when God gives Moses his name. So he tells Moses, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm calling you to do. And then Moses asks him in Exodus 3.13, 
If the people, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God shares his name with Moses. I am who I am. That's what the covenant name of Yahweh means. And that's what Moses needs to know as he heads into this great mission. Then later in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses asks to see God's glory. And what does God do? Once again, he gives Moses his name. Moses says, God, please show me your glory. And God says this right after that in Exodus 33, 19. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. See, according to the Bible, to know God's name is not to simply know something factual about him. To know God's name is to know him. To hear his name is to see his glory. His name is that connected to the reality of who he is. And that's why you see throughout the scriptures, the name of God being talked about with such reverence and awe. And you see this so often throughout the Psalms. To give you a few examples, Psalm 8.1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The, what we use for our call to worship today, Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And then when Jesus teaches us as his people how we should pray, how does he start? He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed what? Or, or be made as holy What? your name. God's name represents who he is. And as the holy, 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 gracious and merciful God he is, it must be used in a way that communicates the utmost respect. It shouldn't be used by us in, in any way that, that might diminish him or demean him. And that's what he wants for us. And you can think about this even with the use of your own name. Right? When, someone, when you hear someone speak your name, it heightens everything. The emotional temperature rises. The level of vulnerability increases. I wonder if you can think about significant times in your life when someone has spoken your name. When someone has spoken your name for good, to bless you in some way. Or when someone has spoken your name for bad, to curse you. We remember these things because our, name, our names matter. They're, they're so connected to who we are. And that's why it can hurt when someone makes fun of your name or uses it in a way you don't like, maybe gives you a nickname you don't like. When I was just out of college and living and working in Winston-Salem, I remember one day at work, walking around the office, and there was a guy who'd been there since I had. We'd never formally met, but had known each other from afar. And uh, so one day, we're about to pass each other in the hallway. And uh, we do the thing that you do when there's somebody like this you're walking towards in a hallway. <laughs> you kind of look down until at the last possible moment you make eye contact and you're like, hey, what's up? It's at least what guys do or I do. But I look up and I get ready to do that and he's got this grin on his face and he says, hey, Aaron. 
And I just, I don't know what to do. I kind of walk by and then I shoot him a glance. I kind of look around like, did somebody, did somebody play a joke on me? Like, wh- why did he just say that? And I was super offended by it. And the next time I saw it, I saw him, he did it again. And looking back on it, I, I, would, li- I would like to think now if this happened, I would have done the mature thing and curiously asked him next time, hey, why are you calling me that? But of course I didn't. And I just kept walking past and smiling. But inside I was so mad. I was like, why is he calling me this? This guy doesn't even know me. What, why is he using my name like that? Now, as you may have guessed, this was 2013 range, and I eventually found out that the Key and Peele sketch about the substitute teacher had just come out, and that's where he got it from. I ha- obviously had not seen it. <laughs> so he wasn't making fun of me out of nowhere, and I got to know him, and he was, a, he was a good guy, and so that did help. But to be honest, I still didn't like it. <laughs> right? I, I still didn't love hearing my name used this way. It made me feel vulnerable. It, it felt offensive, even though it, it was fairly innocent in the scheme of things. But thinking about that, if something like that is true for you and me, how much more with God, the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who's put his own name on us, calling us his people, his name represents the glory of who he is, his character. And so the way we use it, it really matters. It's so important. We should be so thoughtful and careful about the way we use it. But of course, we don't, and we aren't. And so that brings us to our second point, misusing God's name. In our English Bibles, the commandment is typically translated, as we've seen in the ESV, I'm using, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In the CSB, another translation I like, it's, do not misuse the name of the Lord. In the original language, it's literally, you shall not take up or bear the name of the Lord in emptiness or worthlessness or falsely as a lie. And there are all kinds of examples the Old Testament gives of what this looked like for the people of God back then, Um, them taking a false oath and attaching God's name to it, Um, them using, trying to use God's name for some sort of magic or sorcery, Uh, of course, blaspheming or cursing the name of God, all kinds of ways to use God's name in an empty, worthless way. But practically, how, how do we do this? How does this show up for you and I in our context today? Well, it, it does relate to cursing, as I mentioned. I mean, there, there's a reason that's what most of us think about when we think about the third commandment and not taking God's name in vain. Using God's name along with bad language to make a point, to express our anger, to give our words more impact, or maybe to put down someone. So we do need to pay attention to that as we're thinking about how, how this applies. Like, do I do that? And, and what does that look like for me? Because it, it, it does matter. That, that's misusing his name. That's taking it in vain. But as we said, it, it's so much more than that. And, and we read the Westminster Shorter Catechism together, and that gave us a few categories. But if you look at the larger catechism, and it does this for all the Ten Commandments, it goes into so much more detail about all kinds of ways these things show up. And I'm not going to go through every example. It gives over 30 examples. But I do want to focus on three right now. Three that I know I see in my own life and I think will be instructive for us as a group. So I want to look at how we misuse God's name when we, number one, go through the motions. Second, when we're inconsistent with our words and actions. And then third, when we attach God's name to our own agenda. And so let's walk through these briefly 
So first, when we go through the motions, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, I mean using God's name when it's little more than lip service. Like you're mouthing the words, you're saying God's name, but you're, not, you're, you're so disconnected from it. It doesn't really mean anything to you. And th- this can show up in a lot of places. It shows up in prayer. Think about maybe when you pray before a meal, like how easy it is to just sort of spout off a nice little prayer, but you're not thinking at all about what you're saying. Uh, or when you're praying, especially in a group, um, often we get insecure and nervous about praying, and so we just spout off a lot of gods and fathers and Jesus Christs and Holy Spirit, you know. And we mean well, but we do that. Um, think about how many times we've all been in a group or we've, been, we've prayed the Lord's Prayer together, and we've, we know what it says, but we have no real consciousness as we're praying it of what we're actually saying. So it shows up in some of those ways. It shows up a lot in worship and how we engage here, doing what we're doing right now. I remember my brother and I for years singing the, the doxology in the Methodist church we grew up in, and we thought the words went, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures, not here below like it actually says, but here we go. <laughs> like we're getting pumped up, you know. But we were because we would spout, we would go into this, we'd break into this as a congregation, and when we did, we were just, we were completely going through the motions. We had no idea what we were singing. We do it, we, we confess truths together like we did earlier without thinking about it. When we sing and mouth the words we've got up here on the screen and, and we're we're disconnected, we're not paying attention to it. I do it when I'm singing, getting ready to come up here, but I'm, I'm not really thinking about what I'm singing. I'm thinking about what I'm getting ready to say. We do it in all kinds of ways. We misuse God's name when we, when we use it in a way that we're just going through the motions. And then second, we misuse it when we're inconsistent with our words and our actions. And I said one of the applications for the people in context was not to take false oaths with God's name attached. But in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deepens this by taking it even further. And he says, You have heard that it it was said, You shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all. Just let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. And his point is, as God's people, those who bear his name, our words should be like his words are. They should be consistent with our actions. They should be true. So we shouldn't even have to swear an oath or add to it. We should just say yes or just say no. And we break this. We take God's name in vain when we're inconsistent, when we're not trustworthy because we're not representing God as he truly is. I heard a New Testament scholar named Dan Doriani talk about this in a lecture I listened to in the past couple of years, and he was trying to flesh this out. And he gave an example that was so convicting for me, but he said, imagine a mom or a dad um, doing something with their children, uh, maybe doing some chores or errands, and saying to the kids, hey, after we finish this, we'll go get some ice cream. After we finish whatever this is we're doing, then we'll go get some ice cream. And he said, imagine this parent saying that, and then the child looking at the parent and saying, hey, um, mom, or, or hey, dad, do you promise? Do you promise that we're going to go get ice cream. And Dr. Doriani says, in that moment, what's happening is that parent is being rebuked because their child having to ask, do you promise, reveals 
that their parents' act, words don't always match up with their actions. Saying, we're going to go get ice cream after this doesn't always mean we're actually going to go get ice cream. And now, whether you're a parent or not, that's so convicting because it begs you to ask the question, do my words match up with my actions? Does my yes really mean yes? Does my no really mean no? Can people count on me to do what I say I'm going to do? Am I leaving the office and getting home from work when I say I'm going to? Am I following through on tasks I promised to deliver on? Am I actually praying for people when they share something with me and I say, yeah, I'll I'll be praying for you about that? This applies in all these ways in everyday life. And of course, it applies to the things we actually do vow using God's name. Think about marriage vows. We take marriage vows in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we promise big promises in our wedding vows. But do we keep them? Even vows you make here when you join the church, do you now resolve and promise to live as becomes a follower of Christ? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? We misuse the name of God when our words and our actions don't match up when we're inconsistent. And then finally, one more example. We misuse God's name when we attach his name to our own agenda. And what this means is we can determine, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to happen. Here's what I want to believe. And to give it more power, to give it more weight, what we do is we, we attach God's name to it. In a sense, we name drop God the same way you name drop someone in a conversation to give you more gravitas with the people you're talking to, we do that. We play the God card. We say, I know God wants me to be happy, so then we fill in the blank with whatever it is we want to do. Or we say, God told me to do whatever it is that's not actually in line with his will and according to his word, but it's just what I want to do. It's my own agenda. We do it all the time, and it's breaking this commandment. And in whatever way you and I misuse God's name, the end of the commandment tells us why it's such a big deal. Look at it again. Verse 70 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? For the Lord will not hold him or her guiltless who takes his name in vain. He says this is really serious. There's a punishment here. So finally, then, how can we learn to stop breaking this commandment? How can we learn to begin to, to use God's name properly with, with reverence and awe? Well, it doesn't come simply through hearing this commandment, through hearing the law, even through hearing uh, what's at stake here if we don't do it. I mean, the law is important, it's helpful, but, but the law does not have the power to change our hearts. The law can show us uh, how we need to change, can tell us we need to change, but it, it can't, it's in and of itself, change us. And so what do we need? Well, we get a glimpse of it even in the commandment itself when God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. He says, the Lord, your God. And that's helpful because he doesn't say, do this and then I'll be your God. He says, I'm, I'm already your God. So use my name this way. 
And this points us back to the beginning of all these commandments. Before God gives a single one of them, here's what he says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's already who I am and what I've done for you, and as a result, who you are. But now, how does that help us? Well, part of our process of preparing sermons like this is to read commentaries and books on the text or topic we're looking at, and also from time to time to listen to sermons other people have preached on the text or topic, and I don't, I don't do that all the time because sometimes it, it messes me up. I can't like unlisten to what I heard, um, but I did that this week. I listened to someone else. I listened to one of my favorite preachers in our denomination, a guy named Brian Habig, who's from downtown Prez in Greenville, South Carolina, and he's excellent. And in his sermon on this, he shared a story that was so good and so helpful to me that I just had to share it with you guys. And as a side note, Gordon Fleming, who's our pastor at our uh, Cotswold location, listed to two other guys from our denomination who also preached on this, and they also used this story. So I guess it's like the PCA illustration for the third commandment. But I think you'll see why it's so helpful. But CBS, they did a short news piece back in 2012 about a World War II soldier's widow named Peggy Harris. And you can go on YouTube and find this for yourself if you want to look it up. But Peggy was married to her husband, Billy Harris, just six weeks before he left to go fight in the war. And he was a fighter pilot. And he flew his final mission on July 17, 1944, over Nazi-occupied northern France. And Billy never returned from that mission. He went missing, and Peggy never remarried. She never never really moved on, and for various reasons, she never learned anything more than this for years. I mean, she came to assume that he had died, but she didn't know any details about what happened. She didn't even know where his body was buried. But finally, one of her relatives did some digging and uncovered some pretty amazing stuff. And what they found is that Billy's plane was shot down over a small French town called Levant. And as his plane was going down, Billy was heading right for the town. But instead of flying into that town, he maintained enough control to veer his plane to crash into the woods nearby. And, and as he did this, people in the town were watching. They saw this plane coming for them, about to destroy their little town, and they saw him turn it and go straight into uh, the woods. They saw him not only fighting to free them, but saving them from the destruction of this crash. And from that moment in 1944, Billy became a hero in that town. They even still have the, the main street in the town named after him. And every year since, the people of this town, they marched three times a year to the grave sites of those who gave their life fighting for their uh, freedom. And they, were, they read the names off. And of course, every name, it's, it's emotional for every name that they read. But as the video shows, even 70 years later, as the mayor of the town gets to the name Billy Harris, she can't even say it without choking up. There's so much gratitude. There's so much thankfulness for the people in this town for what he did for them. And now after all these years of wondering, Peggy Harris now knows the truth. She knows her husband's a hero. But you think about that town. And imagine a young child doing kind of what kids often do, kind of making everything a joke and using Billy's name in some sort of a joke, right? Goofing around, 
throwing his name out, using it carelessly. What would someone in that town do? Well, they wouldn't tell this boy or girl, hey, stop it. Don't do that. That's not what we do around here. What would they do? They would call that child to come close and say, hey, come sit down. Let me tell you about who Billy Harris is. Let me tell you what he did for us. Let me tell you about how he rescued our town. And see, the point is, for you and me today, we don't learn to use God's name properly by being told not to, by being told stop it. There's punishment if you do, but we learn by seeing and by remembering who he is, what he's done for us, how he's rescued us. And for the people in context, it was, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. For us, it's something so much better than that. It's seeing and remembering who God is, what he's done for us, and how he's rescued us through his son, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, who came and spoke a better word than we ever could, who never broke this commandment, who always fulfilled it in every way, who never went through the motions talking about God, who was always consistent in his words and actions, and who never used God's name to advance his own agenda. Through Jesus Christ, who positively, when he spoke, left people saying about him, no one ever spoke like this man. We do it through by looking at Jesus, who only deserved a word of blessing from God, but who received a word of condemnation in our place when he went to the cross so that you and me, as we gather here today, even as people who, who break this all the time, probably even today, and deserve condemnation, can receive his blessing. See, we change the way we talk about God by remembering the story, by looking at Jesus, and by seeing how much God loves us, seeing all he's done for us, seeing how he rescued us from the destruction that was coming our way. Jesus himself says, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And this is how we learn to keep this commandment, to speak about God the way he deserves, by seeing all he's done for us, all he's given us that we don't deserve. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, letting that change our hearts, letting that draw us more and more in, in love with him, and simply letting our words Reflect that. That's how we do it. And this morning, we've got a great tangible opportunity to do it as we come to this table. Because coming to this table is a bit like the people in Levant coming to the grave site of Billy Harris, coming to remember this man who gave his life for them. And that's what we do when we come to this table each month. We come to remember what God's done for us in Jesus Christ. And, and this is another place. It's, it's very easy for us to go through the motions, especially if you've been around church for a while, to just come up and get the elements and go back and sort of just for it to be very rote. But what an invitation this is. An invitation that can transform us in every way, including the way we talk about God and honor him and use his name with our speech, because when we come here to this table, we remember that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which was given for you. Every time you eat of it, 
Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, we remember that when he took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so if you're here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus, this table's for you. It's that simple. If you trust him, if you trust him who's spoken a better word on your behalf, who's received the curse you deserve so that you can receive God's blessing, this table's for you and I'd invite you to come. Uh, but if you're here and that's not where you are yet, we're really glad you're here and would invite you to please keep coming and uh, processing what, what you really believe and where you are with him. Uh, but if, if that's where you are, instead of coming up here and going through the motions and actually breaking this commandment by taking his name in vain, um, would encourage you to hang in your seat and maybe uh, even use some of the meditations that we've printed on the back of your bulletin to guide you. Uh, but if you're here and you know you need Jesus, this table's for you. And it's our practice to come and receive the elements from up front. We'll have the officers up here with them. Um, come receive them, take them back to your seat. And then when we've all got them, I'll lead us in taking them together. The outer rings are going to be grape juice. And everything inside of that is going to be real wine. If you're looking for a gluten-free option in these bowls with the bread, you'll see some packages that are, uh, have a gluten-free wafer. And so I'm going to pray now if the officers will come forward and then we'll um, come to this table together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, this morning and uh, this chance to look at uh, this third commandment. Thank you for the ways it challenges us and for the ways it compels us um, to live a life of flourishing. And thank you most of all for the ways that you have fulfilled this on our behalf, um, the way you've rescued us. And I pray that as we come now by your spirit, our hearts would be moved by that and that it would ultimately impact the way uh, we talk about you and the way we do honor the name of the Lord. And so I pray that you'd be with us now. Um, bless this time. Set these elements apart. We ask in your name. Amen.